Hey there, I'm Ginny Sarasvati, and welcome to the first episode of Engineer Innovation. This is a podcast for engineers by engineers. Because you work every day to make your products safer, reduce emissions, increase energy efficiency, reduce materials use and waste, and improve operational performance. Because you all want to build a better tomorrow, faster. The Siemens SimCenter team also share this vision with you, and they're fully committed to helping you realize it. We believe that the comprehensive digital twin is critical to the future of engineering innovation and that simulation and tests are the beating heart of the digital twin. That's why this podcast will focus on how simulation and tests can help you get there faster. One such technology is computational fluid dynamics, otherwise known as CFD. And while CFD has long been in use in the automotive and aerospace industries, its use is spreading to non-traditional fields, including, wait for it, surfing. (laughs) That's right, surfing. And while the origins of surfing are unknown at this point, there's a fair amount of research that suggests it dates back to the ancient Polynesian cultures. So how does an ancient sport that is now an Olympic sport improve on the tried and tested? Let's join Stephen Ferguson and Luca Oggiano to hear how CFD is making it possible to ride digital waves without getting the sand in our shoes. With me now is Luca Oggiano, who's a CEO and co-founder of Nabla Flow and also a co-founder of the Surf Engineering Association. Luca, most important question first, are you a surfer? Yes, I I am a surfer. I'm not an amazing surfer, but I've been surfing for most of my life, I would say. And originally you're from Italy, but now you're in Norway? Exactly. I'm from uh, Sardinia, as the island. How is the uh, surfing in Norway? Can you get any good surfing? Not not on Stavanger, where you are. It's the wrong side of the coast, isn't it, I, I imagine? It's actually the right side of the of the coast. I was surfing this morning for about two hours. I had a very nice session. No one in the water. As you can imagine, there's way fewer people here than in places where there's where better climate. So you get the surf all to yourself, which is pretty cool. So tell me a bit about your background and how did you get involved in surfing? Because you are you're a CFD guy, aren't you? You're an aerodynamicist. You're a CFD guy, and you've got a history in sports engineering, but how did you get involved in surfing from an engineering point of view? Yeah, surfing itself, I started surfing when I was 20, but then I moved to Torino where I started aerospace engineering and then it was pretty difficult to reach the beach and the waves. Then I started surf quite a bit more intensively when I moved to Australia for one and a half year. And more or less at the same time, I started to work on CFD. I finished my PhD and I got hired to work with offshore wind energy. And there we started to use actually StarCCM Plus for a simulation for the offshore wind energy market, where we were simulating both either wind turbines, particularly waves hitting this floating, either floating or bottom fixed substructures. Then at some point, I started to think, I think with exact the same with exactly the same tool, I should be able to simulate a surfboard as well. And I started playing around. And uh, yeah, well, that's where it started. So I, during the breaks from, uh, I was in a meeting. During the break, I started to play around. I downloaded a geometry from the net and I started playing with a surfboard on with Star CCM Plus. 
That's always a dangerous thing to do, isn't it? Is download a model from the internet and start yes. playing around because it can end up, as you say, take years of your life away doing those kind of simulations. So the surfboard industry, I mean, just Googling online, it's worth about $3 billion. That's what Google tells me anyway. And it's getting bigger as well, because I think this year in Tokyo, surfing is finally going to be an Olympic sport. The sport's thousands of years old, you know, maybe it originated in Polynesia. And in some ways, it's more like a religion than a sport. There's kind of religious parts to it, at least in its origins. And it's been massive sport since the 1960s. How are surfboards designed today? Does, is there much engineering that goes into the designing of surfboards? There is more and more engineering going into the design of surfboards until, I will say, 10, 15 years ago. It was almost just an art. So people were just shaping blanks in their own either backyard or garage and making a surfboard out of those blanks. When CNC machines started approaching, and then you could start using also CAD software to design surfboards, then the overall industry started translating into a more engineering-looking-like industry where you could not only mass-produce surfboards, but also reproduce surfboards or produce them at least with a certain level of accuracy. And then that's where the industry is at right now. I think, though, it is in a very early stage when it comes to both uh, structural dynamics and uh, hydrodynamics, or at least in how hydrodynamics and structural dynamic designs are implemented into the surfboard design itself. A lot comes from experience, basically, at this stage. So this effort to apply disruptive engineering technology or simulation technology to the surfboard industry and to the sport, this isn't just something that you're doing, is it? There's a wider group of people you're working from. Can you tell us a bit about those guys? Well, we are actually three friends. I will say we met in a very weird way with Mark. We met in Australia. I was at the conference. I was at one of the ISEA conference and I met his, one of his colleagues. Mark is an expert in uh, both structural dynamics and surfboard testing. He managed to build, I think, the most amazing facility for surfboard testing in the world. And he's been one of the first guys that I know, at least, uh, trying to go deep into the modes of the board. So how the boards vibrate and how these modes interact with the performance of the boards itself. We've been working also together on this topic and also wrote some papers together. Dave is coming from a different type of industry. He's been designing his own fins, and that's where they met with Mark. And then I got introduced to Dave from Mark. And the last guy uh, in the Surf Engineering Association is Jimmy Fries. He is the co-founder, or I think actually the founder, of one of the largest companies for CAD design applied to surfboards. So he's the founder of AcuShaper. I think they produce or they AcuShaper used to, to make probably half of the boards on the planet. So any managed to join us at the last symposium we had in Hawaii. So yeah, we got to know each other in a very random way, I will say, but we got along and um, yeah, now we managed to found this surf engineering association, which is great fun. And so if you're going to have a surfing conference, the only real place to have it, I think, is Hawaii. How did that work out? Was there much interest from the, from the general wider surfing kind of population? Were they interested in, in what you guys were talking about? We actually had, surprisingly, quite a few guys dropping in. It was, I will say, a homemade conference. I will not even call it a conference. It was more of a symposium. It was a very uh, familiar venue. We had both a range of people from five years old up to eight years old at the conference. 
So it was an amazing atmosphere, I would say, a very completely informal. We were presenting in shorts and everyone was wearing shorts there as a I was really, really blessed. We had the blessed there. It was amazing. I bet there was sand all over the conference room, wasn't that? Were you kind of guys hanging out there? <laughs> yes, <Yeah, so> sort of. <laughs> okay, so what are the issues? What's prevented the surfing community using CFD or engineering simulation before now? Or what's kind of the obstacles we've had to overcome, do you think? I think there are, well, there are two obstacles. The main obstacle is the obstacle that CFD always had somehow, which was complex, difficult, required enormous computational power. I was not there yet. Now it's starting to be applied to fields where you can actually run simulations at relatively low cost, especially when it comes really to cost in terms of money. And the surfboard industry is one of those industries, meaning that there is not the same amount of money that you can have in designing a Formula One car, for instance. But now simulations are more available. They are easy to run. Uh, the softwares are also getting smarter. So everyone, or not everyone, but let's say that it's easier to run simulations now than it was uh, 10 years ago. And then the second issue is that, well, probably no one thought about that before. So yeah, once you start opening some doors, then uh, people start seeing the doors as well. And they see the door open and then they start to understand that, wow. There is a whole world here we didn't think of, and uh, let's start exploring it. So, yeah, I think we've seen, so as long as I've been involved in CFD, which is almost 30 years now, there's always people trying to apply CFD to sports. So so Formula One is the obvious one. Obviously, for cycling aerodynamics, it's been used quite a lot recently as well. And uh, in the news recently, you've seen the America's Cup, where you've got these um, hydrofoiling monohulls, which are traveling at 50 knots. So kind of the technology for simulating high-performance boats in waves is there. But one of the things that I don't quite understand is how can you simulate a surfboard without a surfing maneuver? Surely you need to be able to model how the surfboard is moving through the waves. And, and where would you even begin to get that kind of data? Well, there we have. Uh, we started, we decided to go simple first. So at the very first simulations were just a board fixed, basically, in the water. And then you can start seeing already, you can already start having some information about how the flow goes, for instance, during the paddling phase. Then we started placing the board at a certain angle in the flow, representing some sort of turns. And then we're trying to understand what kind of influence the tail has in this type of static, but still somehow dynamic type of situation. And from there on, we started moving forward and we started implementing maneuvers. And also in that way was prescribed maneuver, meaning that we were prescribing the kinematics. Until at the end, we managed to implement with the FBI, we managed to implement forces on the board. So the board is literally floating on a flume and uh, we represent the surfer as uh, basically one point imposing some certain moments to the board. And that's probably the most representative case we can get, at least at this specific stage when it comes to surfboards. Design, I will not call it really surfboard design, but it's more CFD applied to surfing. I think I read somewhere that you managed to, did you not have some surfers surfing on boards with kind of GPS motion sensors involved as well? Yes, that's really not my expertise, but Dave in Hawaii has been working with surfers that had uh, GPS on their boards. And they were using different type of fins. And then we compare the results from the CFD simulations with field data. And that was quite a ride. We were not expecting to get the accurate match. But at the end, 
actually we could see some large differences both from CFD and from the field test. And those differences were actually matching, which shows that, well, maybe this is the right direction to take. Yeah, because that, that's another one of the interesting questions about a surfboard, isn't it? Because what's the difference between a good surfboard and a bad surfboard? I guess most of it is subjective in the eyes of the surfer. It's, it's what the surfboard feels like. And I guess it depends quite a lot on the experience of the surfer too. So how do you tell the difference between a good surfboard and a bad surfboard? I don't really think that's really the scope that we ever had, but the scope is more to quantify the differences between the surfboard in a way that is not anymore just linked to geometrical differences. Because right now, the only way we have to describe or is changing slowly, but let's say until three, four years ago, the only way you have to describe a surfboard was to have the dimension of the surfboards. Not even the shape. Sometimes the shape was defined as the type of surfboard you were surfing, for instance, a fish or a thruster. But also the way the volumes were displaced along the surfboard, right? that's, that's something that you just see, look at it, and you decide if you like it or not. One of our main scope, or at least my main scope and goal, is to move away from uh, this type of description into something that is more engineering-based or more results-based or something that you can at least specify in a better manner so that you can give at the beginning is going to be most probably pro athletes, but in the future, maybe also the normal users, a better way to understand what kind of boards they are buying. So it will not be a better board or a worse board. Maybe at some point it will, but I think the main scope right now is to quantify what right now is just based on subjective way of uh, seeing it. Yeah, because the industry's been around, well, from the start for over a thousand years, but as a sport for over 60 years. And there's quite a lot of innovation anyway, because surfboards have changed in the past 60 years, haven't they already? A lot, a lot. In terms of materials, in terms of shape, I think it's actually pretty impressive to see how far a surfboard design has gone just by, by evolution and trial and error. It's uh, pretty amazing. And so you're looking to add like another dose of innovation into the sport to accelerate it even further, I guess, it's going to be the result of this. I think it's needed. And I, I think it's going to happen no matter what. If, if it's going to be me, I don't know, but it, it's going to happen, especially when the sports is going to reach a professional level and be included in the Olympics. There would be the need for more specific materials and, and also the surfers, or at least the professional ones, will start to understand the great value of having something that is correctly described and correctly pre-described so that you can pick your weapon somehow in a 100% secure and safe way. So tell me just a little bit about the simulations that you did then. I think you compared three different surfboard fin designs, is that right? Yes, we compared three different fin design and we ran some simulations on it. I think the results presented were only part of the results that we analyzed within the Surf Engineering Association. Also there we run both either kinematic prescribed motions or turns and also uh, the FBI turns, meaning using fluid structure interaction. The simulations were run on a simple uh, flume, so we didn't include any way for those specific simulations, but the differences were, were actually pretty clear. And some of the differences we were looking at was uh, both how, how fast was the board turning with the different types of fins and also how much drag were the fins really providing, providing to the board. Also, there, there is no optimal 
because some riders might like to have a little bit more of a loose feeling on their boards, meaning that they like the board to slide a little bit more. So it's not that some fins that provide better grip are better than other fins. But what is kind of important or what is important for the surfers is to have a type of fins that doesn't really stall in an abrupt way so that you can always somehow control force that you are applying to the board and the reaction that you get from the board. So it's not really about, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's difficult to describe what is a better fin and what, if there is a better fin than other ones, but for sure, delaying the stall or at least mitigating the stall is one of the key components. But what you've managed to do is you've managed to characterize the different fins so people could make an informed decision, couldn't they, about the, the type of board they like for the first time. You can look at a surfboard and say it's got these characteristics. It's not just a question of riding it and feeling it. You can do that with numbers. Was it more than just pulling out numbers, though? Could you see the kind of the flow around the board? Because I guess, you know, for a thousands of year old sport, not many people have ever probably seen the flow around the underside of a surfboard. So I guess there's lots of insight that can be gained from just looking at the, the flow around the surfboard, isn't there? Exactly, exactly. So it was actually a very interesting study. And some of the structures that you use, sometimes now there is a lot of photographers that are placing themselves very close to the surfer. So sometimes you have this amazing footage with surfers shot from below the water. And you could see some of the structures that you actually saw in the simulations, like, for instance, ventilation with air getting caught under the board and mixed with swirls and, and uh, vorticity. So, yeah, that was pretty, pretty amazing to be able to visualize and to quantify this type of effects that, in general, they are extremely complex to, to, to see in real life. I guess that's where the, the real power of CFD is, that you get some results, but you also manage to understand what is causing those results. It's also interesting to see these surfboards, which have basically been designed almost through evolution through successive generations of surfers, and finding out sometimes that from a CFD point of view, they actually work, don't they, as well? You know, it's not, there's sometimes the surprise is that things are already pretty good before you even look at them. So, I mean, engineering simulation can improve the design, but were the designs quite good to start with anyway? At this stage, I have to say that we didn't make any dramatic improvements, so we didn't revolutionize the market yet. I think there is a lot to discover, a lot to improve. A standardization, for instance, is one of the directions that I think the surfboard industry, or at least each producer, should take. So trying to understand, build a database, run simulations on a certain number of, of uh, surfboards, collect data from the field. Because uh, that's where the, I think the real power of uh, these type of simulations will start uh, appearing. When you start to collect data and have like a large database, large enough so that you can compare different designs. We are right now just opening doors, checking solutions, trying to see what's possible, pushing boundaries, applying all these new methodologies or new, it's not only methodology, I think it's a new vision or a new way of seeing surfboards. Uh, will probably be, require some time and some effort from both the surfers and the surfboard producers. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, biomimicry? And so one of the fin designs you, you tried out, I think, was inspired by nature, wasn't it? Yes, there was an idea of, of Dave. It's inspired by the whales. So they have this kind of tubercular structure in front of their fins. And that supposedly, at least nature, made them evolve in that way so that they could improve their hydrodynamics. 
And we actually found out that it works pretty well also on surfboard fins. So first of all, they are pretty amazing to ride those fins. And at the same time, it's kind of amazing that they are coming somehow from an evolutionary process already happening, happening in nature. Was there any benefit from using the whale-inspired fin designs? Yeah, it's a bit in line with what I was saying earlier. So you have a waist mover stall. So you have the fin itself is not stalling abruptly at a certain uh, certain angle, but it's more transitioning into a more <laughs> stall condition without causing this abrupt change in drag or side force. Also there while you're riding, deciding what is drag and what is side force. We had, we had a long discussion amongst us, like, should we follow the the direction of the board, should we follow the direction of the surfer? Should we follow the tangent direction? So it was pretty complicated discussions. So when you start working with different reference systems, everything gets mixed up. So you don't know anymore what is drag, what is lift, <laughs> what, is, what is side force. Because <laughs> I guess those are simple concepts that don't really apply to a dynamic three moving structure, which is going through waves and things. So that's a, that's an interesting observation. So having basically validated your approach using complicated maneuvers, but under a simple style. So those were done on but more or less a flat sea surface, weren't they? Yes. At least the ones that are presented in the paper, they were done on a free surface. What's the prospect of simulating surfboard dynamics on real waves? Is that something that's possible, do you think? Yeah, I think we've been... Um... One of the presentations that we had there at the first symposium that we had was about the surfboard sliding on a tube. At some point, the idea there is to have a reference tube where you could eventually simulate a surfboard floating on this tube. Right now, we're only working on prescribed motion or prescribed kinematics, so the board is somehow slicing through the tube. We already got some very interesting results from that and very interesting um, understandings, or at least we are getting closer to understand the complexity of the hydrodynamics that the board experiences in such condition. But at some point, I am 100% sure that we will be able to simulate a real surfer committing maneuver or acting on a wave and yeah, basically maneuvering on the wave itself, which is, yeah, I think that's the holy grail. Uh, we are not there yet, but I can see that it's doable. It's doable. It's an incredible idea. But even, I mean, you we've talked about kind of digital twins of the surfboards, but that requires you to have a digital twin of a wave as well, which itself, I mean, obviously in marine CFD applications, they have wave interactions, but a surfing tube is a whole different order of magnitude and complexity. How do you even go about simulating a wave? Yeah, there has been a lot of trial and error from my side. I've been simulating waves for about 10 years, but they were not the same type of waves. Some of them were actually breaking, also because in the offshore wind energy business, one of the more most complicated situations that you can simulate is the wave slamming on the structure. So those waves were almost breaking. So almost breaking or at least breaking on the monopiles, so on the structure. So I already had some knowledge on how or what kind of settings I should use but from there on, from moving from those type of ways, which are still somehow two-dimensional, they are three-dimensional, but you are sending a two-dimensional wave. So moving from there to a real three-dimensional wave where the wave is peeling, it was an enormous amount of trial and error until I was fully satisfied with the dynamics of the wave, the size of the wave, the velocity of the wave. And that was done trying to, to represent a real existing break, which is uh, Chopu, 
So there, the idea was to have a wave that was peeling and moving at very similar speeds that one you can expect there in, in, in Tahiti. Wow. So a Tahiti wave modeled using simulation in SimCenter, that's an incredible achievement. And also, I think it's another way that the industry or the sport seems to be heading, isn't it? Because I think the top professional surfers now have their own kind of wave-making facilities that they can practice their surfing on using repeatable waves. Do you think that's another possible application for computational fluid dynamics and simulation? I've been uh, sneaking into most of the wave pool projects, and I think 99% of them are designed using uh, CFD or CFD applications. So yes, that's definitely an enormous market, an enormous growing market. Also there, I have to say that a lot of the research or a lot of the effort started from research that was applied from uh, other fields. So it's kind of interesting to see how oceanography and yeah, even the offshore, both wind energy, but also offshore oil and gas market have been contributing to something that I don't think they were they were ex- really expecting it will have happened, which is surfing waves produced by uh, man-made machines. It's incredible. And it, I mean, it's worth checking out. We'll put some links in the show notes for this, but it's incredible to see, if you look on YouTube, these kind of sections of beach where people are making these reproducible, recreatable waves so you can practice the same manoeuvres again and again and again. Would, in any other sport, that would revolutionise the sport. So I think it's exciting times for surfing. So we, we said at the start of this that surfing is an Olympic sport. If we step forward four years' time. So at the moment, I guess most of the surfboards designed, all the surfboards in the Tokyo Olympics will be designed using traditional techniques. Do you think in four years' time at the next Olympics, after obviously surfing is going to be a massive success, we're going to start to see the impact of CAE-designed surfboards? I really think so. I really think so. And that will, that will happen through, first of all, understanding not only from us that are driving this change, but also from the riders. And I know I've been working with professional athletes for about 15 years. And I'm 100% sure that when they will start seeing that they can get something better, they will want that something better. Because that little bit of advantage that you can get from a better designer, at least from knowing the type of design you are going to write, is going to make a massive difference for them. So it's not going to be driven anymore just by us that are maybe a little bit of a visionary in this field, but more from the really performance side of the sports, which are the surfers. I completely see that. And we, we could make a bet and see if this happens or not. <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> well, I'll certainly invite you back on the podcast when we're looking at the... I don't even know where, where the next Olympics is going to be, but we'll definitely have a chat about that. And maybe we can have a chat after this Olympics as well. I mean, I think all you have to do in that regard is you only have to hook one top surfer, don't you? As soon as one guy or girl is seen to be getting an advantage from using this technology and using surfboards designed by this technology, then everybody else just has to follow because that's the way support. It's about marginal gains. Exactly. And, you know, any sort of improvement you can demonstrate will, um, I'm sure, revolutionize the sport. So, Luca, supposing that there's an expert surfer out there who wants to utilize some of these techniques that you've developed into finding out to improving their surfboard, how would they go about doing that? Could they contact you? Yeah, they can just uh, contact us directly. So we are right now in the full phase of development. And of course, following the journey of a professional surfer from our side will be absolutely amazing. 
All right, that was really interesting. I think it's a fantastic application of CFD and simulation. I love the way that you've given already given insight, but I love the way that you're able to characterize surfboards for the first time, that you're getting information about how the flood dynamics of surfing works. I think the prospects are really huge. And so thank you very much, Luca, for joining me. That's been really interesting. Thank you. It'll be fascinating to see the impact on the sport in four years' time. And best wishes to Luca and the Surf Engineering Association. In the meantime, please subscribe to our podcast channel. And remember to join us for the next episode of Engineer Innovation. 